Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former editor at Muscle Mag, former competitive bodybuilder, powerlifter, strength guru, Ooh. and all around rocking uh, dude. I hate that word, guru. Yeah, uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, uh, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and LiftForHope.org. And, dudes, we are all together on the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a few weeks. Yeah. Same place, different time. It, yeah, it's been uh, a little while. Hey, we have a, a bunch of news. Strength and muscle sport news. Um, I want to start with a little tidbit here from a listener. He pointed us to Stitcher, which is an app that I don't yet fully understand. I guess we're um, behind the times with this, but um, I've heard it described as like the Pandora of talk radio. And um, let me just read you. This is a little thing that they sent me. Iron Radio is now available on Stitcher. We are thrilled to offer the show on the app. Your show will now be available all over the world on Stitcher mobile and tablet apps, the web app, as well as in-car dashboards. How about that? I like that. Um, It says, I hope your audience enjoys the flexibility and ease of the Stitcher app. I know many of our Stitcher listeners will enjoy discovering your show. So, cool. Thank you. For the um, for the tip, we're going to follow up with this in the future and see what happens. The how, how does that how does that come to be? Like how, how do they come become aware of it? And uh, they just did. I I, I sent an application and <laughs> oh I, okay gotcha okay. I was a little nervous about that um, agreement. You know those agreements nobody reads those end user license agreement things. I I actually read it more than most people. And I'm looking over the second they're not going to try to take the show from us, you, you jerks. But I don't yeah. I I sincerely. <laughs> Well, that would be a fatal mistake. That's right. Yeah. Things would get ugly fast. Anyway. Um, now, I've got some um, science news here. Do you guys want me to launch into that first, or you guys want to... Roll off with it, and i got a piece of news, too. Okay. Yeah, i got something I can say, too. Everyone, the news is sort of thematic. Um, today's topic is going to be how fat are you willing to get or you know how fat is too fat because you hear about this with off-season bodybuilding and powerlifting in general and those sorts of things um and these studies are actually about something related to body fatness uh it, the theme i guess is brown adipose tissue and if you're not familiar with that you will be by the time i'm done it's it's not news to a uh, people or exercise physiology oriented but this would be a nice refresher nonetheless So here, this is how it started. I saw a little sort of news blurb, and it says, Scientists discover mechanism that could reduce obesity. Approximately 68% of U.S. adults are overweight or obese, according to the National Cancer Institute. And again, we know that. I've seen uh, numbers as high as 72% already. Um, And I've heard that by 2015, 90% of us are going to be overweight or obese. Just crazy. It says, but an international team of scientists led by Virginia Commonwealth University Massey Center researcher Andrew Larner, who's an MD-PhD, 
pretty damn impressive, has successfully reversed obesity in mice by manipulating the production of an enzyme known as Tyke 2. And for you nerds out there, tyrosine protein kinase 2. In their experiments, the scientists discovered that Tyke 2 helps regulate obesity in mice and humans through the differentiation of a type of fat tissue known as brown adipose tissue. Published today in the online edition of the Journal of Cell Metabolism, uh, the study is the first to provide evidence of the relationship between Tyke 2 and brown adipose tissue. The scientists were able to reverse obesity in mice that do not express Tyke 2 by expressing a protein known as a signal transducer, uh, et cetera, et cetera, or STAT3. Uh, I think where this is going is essentially if you want to be lean and you're interested in extreme leanness, you want Tyke 2, this enzyme, uh, around. It says, just as a background, there are two different types of fat, white adipose tissue, which is most of what you have, and brown adipose tissue. White adipose tissue is the primary site of energy storage. Brown adipose tissue is responsible for energy expenditure in order to maintain body temperature. Um, now, this is was something that I've been hearing about lately, and it could be news to some of you. Brown adipose tissue deposits are present in all mammals. Like, for example, I've heard you have deposits between your shoulder blades in one place. Um, it says, um, but until recently, scientists thought brown adipose tissue was only active in infants and not adult humans. And I have been hearing that for years. Only in the last four years have scientists realized that brown adipose tissue is present in adult and helps to regulate energy expenditure. In fact, it, there's been links with metabolic syndrome, and everybody knows that's sort of a collection of symptoms with uh, central obesity and low HDL and hypertension and all kinds of um, problems going awry. Um, anyway, it says, we're hopeful this research will lead to new targets to treat a variety of obesity-related diseases. So this is type 2, the enzyme, and there are other proteins and enzymes related with brown adipose tissue, and that's why it's getting more attention over the last couple of years. Again, for ages, they thought this doesn't do a whole lot in adults, um, but now they're thinking, okay, maybe it does. Maybe th there's more to this than we thought. Here's a second paper that I'll share with you. There's, I have three or four here, and again, I'm going to rifle through them. This one's about HCAT. So yes, they have, they love these little acronyms. This one's heart, kidney, adipose, transmembrane protein. Anyway, HCAT, a novel, nutritionally relate, uh, regulated transmembrane protein in adipose tissues. And this starts with, uh, white adipose tissue is an active endocrine organ regulating many aspects of whole body physiology and pathology. Adipogenesis, a process in which premature cells differentiate into full-grown adipocytes, or fat cells, is a complex process that involves orchestrated gene exchanges, you know, etc. It says, we show that both fasting and obesity dramatically reduce HCAT. So again, unlike the type 2, which, you know, think type 2 good, HCAT bad, I think, if you're interested in leanness. So it says, we show that both fasting and obesity um, reduce HCAT in white adipose tissue, and that fasting reduces while obesity increases its expression in brown fat. Anyway, it says, therefore, HCAT is a novel, nutritionally regula regulated gene that is potentially involved in metabolism. Uh, and this goes on, this this is a paper um, by Ren Zhang, Z-H-A-N-G, uh, Rep 2012. You know, of course, tw I usually try to go with frequent 2012 kinds of stuff, otherwise it's not so newsy. Um, and this also talks about how adipose tissue secretes various cytokines that are called adipokines, and they're involved in regulating insulin sensitivity, how much 
you know, energy you expend, food intake, blood pressure, inflammation. So we used to think a uh, decade or two ago, maybe two decades ago, that white adipose tissue was just a gas tank for fat. You know, the, if you look at a fat cell, it actually looks like this, this stereotypical cell cartoon, you know, but instead of all being this big water balloon with a nucleus in the middle and little mitochondria floating around and whatnot. In a fat cell, all that stuff is pushed to the edge and there's a giant oil droplet, essentially, in the middle. So hmm. because of the way they look and what they did, we just thought white fat, white adipose, is just a gas tank. And it's really, that's not true. So a lot of the mechanisms that people try to work with are through some of these new proteins. Uh, a lot of them are anti-inflammatory because like tumor necrosis alpha is secreted by fat. So your body fat secretes a lot of these sort of substances. Um, anyway, if I can just cut to the chase here, I'm going to cut through some of this, but it says HCAT is nutritionally regulated. Um, in white adipose tissue, 24-hour fasting reduces HCAT expression more than 80%. And I know we've had some people ask on the uh, Facebook page whether or not intermittent fasting was good and what we thought about it. And I think one of the problems with it is is that homeostasis is very hard to trick, right? If you reduce HCAT in this uh, instance, um, it'll come back in spades. And, in fact, that's what it says. Refeeding just four hours following the fast normalizes the expression of this HCAT protein. So um, Hmm. it's interesting. interesting. It says in mice with three months on a high-fat diet, HCAT expression in white adipose tissue was reduced by more than 70%. As I read this, I start to think two things. One, fasting reduces it, and it looks like fat in the diet may reduce it. So um, if you do intermittent fasting, I think when you come back from the fast, it might be a good idea to consume mostly protein, maybe some fat. Um, This would suggest fat would be okay. But remember, there are many, uh, dozens of different proteins and enzymes and hormones regulated in homeostasis. So, like, there are other enzymes like LPL that upregulate and love to store fat during a refeed. So, anyway, uh, any if you read any of this stuff about this new target for uh, obesity control, just know that there are lots of new proteins and enzymes that are being uh, discovered when it comes to brown adipose tissue, because you know turning on or proliferating brown adipose tissue would raise your metabolic rate. You'd burn more calories. You know, basically brown fat good, white fat bad, if you want to think of it like that. But then this goes on to say, uh, although after it talks about how this could be a novel target for new drugs and whatnot, it says there is a caveat. First, the current study focuses on HCAT in fat, but it's actually highest expressed in the heart and kidneys. Therefore, it likely has important functions in the heart and kidney. So, again, when I say HCAT bad, well, not so much, right? Your heart and kidneys may need that for stuff. So, anyway. Um, oh, boy. Very Yeah, easy. it's just such a tangled mess. And, again, it's, the take-home message is it's hard to fool Mother Nature in a homeostasis for very long. You can do intermittent fasting, but if your refeed is massive, uh and it has a lot of carbs and fats in it. I don't know. You're probably you could end up no further ahead if you're not very careful. Right. Uh, there's two more here, and these might interest listeners a little bit more. Um, this one's uh, Toxicology Pathology, October 2012. It says epidemiological and experimental links between air pollution and type 2 diabetes. Now I'll be brief, but this is sort of sh- you know weird and shocking to me. This is Liu and colleagues um, from Ohio State University. Uh, There is increasing evidence suggesting links between exposure to environmental toxins and the susceptibility to type 2 diabetes. 
Now, listeners probably know type 2 diabetes. The vast majority of those persons are over fat, and you have all kinds of cascade of metabolic problems. It says emerging data seem to support a role for um, basically particulate matter, uh, pollution, um, in inducing stress-induced apoptosis in brown adipose tissue. So well, we don't want brown adipose tissues to self-destruct, and this looks like pollution could lead, you know, help lead to that. It says also decreased expression of uncoupling protein in brown adipose tissue uh, may actually reduce thermogenesis and metabolic rate, you know, um, and it could be another link with insulin resistance. The implications of an experimental link between air pollution and type 2 diabetes, or for our purposes, just body fatness, are profound as air pollution is a pervasive risk factor throughout the world. So how wow. about that? Stuff out of Ohio State. Who would have thought air pollution could affect your good brown adipose mm-hmm. tissue uh, in, a, in a negative way and then make you fatter? Air pollution makes yeah. you fat? Holy crap, I would have never even thought of that. Yeah, well, it's like years ago when they were saying that blue jeans cause cancer. I mean... All this stuff is really interesting, but... Well, it's some... interesting. They're all, you know... The real question is, how much does it contribute? You know, yeah, is air right. pollution 50% of the picture? I sincerely doubt it. Is it 10%, 8%, 2%? Okay, now we're getting realistic. You know what I mean? But it is interesting because you think we have more and more carbon emissions and pollution, and people are getting fatter and fatter. So I can start to see the speculation. <laughs> sure, absolutely, yeah. And here's one last one, and then uh, I'll zip it. This is regulation of brown adipose tissue development and white fat reduction by, wait for it, L-arginine. Now, I think this is interesting, of course, because when I was an undergrad, my first study, we were looking at L-arginine as a growth hormone secretagogue, you know, something that would acutely raise growth hormone. Well, it didn't work. And then later, of course, arginine became a big part of all these NO products and for the most part, when it comes to muscle growth, you know, doesn't work very well. Um, but listen to this. Current opinions, uh, Clin Nutra Metab Care 2012 from Wu, W-U and colleagues, says, purpose of this review, brown adipose tissue, which is present in humans, plays an important role in the oxidation of fatty acids and glucose. The purpose of this review is to highlight an important role for L-arginine in regulating brown adipose tissue growth and development, therefore reducing obesity in mammals. It says L-arginine treatment enhances brown adipose tissue growth in both fetuses and postnatal animals at molecular and cellular levels. It says L-arginine stimulates the expression of, I won't bore you with what this is, uh, but it's a master regulator of mitochondrial biogenesis. So L-arginine stimulates the growth of new mitochondria. And you might recognize that that's why you do cardio, right, largely, is to try to get more of these aerobic furnaces uh, in your muscles. It says L-arginine also increases blood flow, and brown adipose tissue can actually be partly activated by more blood flow, and inhibits fatty acid synthesis. Uh, in summary, L-arginine increases mammalian brown adipose tissue growth and holds great promise for preventing and treating obesity in humans. Now, again, just to give you my, you know old fart historical perspective. I've seen L-arginine, the amino acid, looked at for all these things. Didn't work, didn't work. Nobody's getting huge and ripped on L-arginine. I will give you this, though. <laughs> Based on this paper, um, the other ways that we looked at L-arginine was always acute. Well, what if chronically you took, a, you know, um, I don't know, a gram or two, a couple grams, whatever the current dose is for L-arginine, but you did it chronically. 
Well, this would suggest you'd end up with more brown adipose tissue over time, and you'd be, you know, have a high metabolic rate and be burning through fat. So kind of interesting yeah. stuff. Anyway, that's my random review. One study leads to another. You know how it is. And uh, I don't know. Brown adipose tissue getting more attention. Hmm. I would like to just say <laughs> that after my explosively chaotic last couple months of my move, um, <clears throat> yesterday I did what I consider to be my first training session of the last couple months. Yeah, because like I said, the, what I've been doing so so non-consistently the last couple of months has been more workouts than training. Um, more maintenance or even lesser degrees of, you know, just trying to remind my body that I still want it to uh, hold on some sides of strength. So last night I went in and I actually once again pulled out the calculator and, and, and did a session where there was actually some sort of plan in place. So that was pretty exciting for me. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was fun, and I, and I'm still kind of uh, tired out of my mind, and you know I'm still a new gym, and I'm, I'm yeah. certainly far far off my best. Um, you know, probably twenty percent down from where I was a couple months ago when I left off, but um, that will be very quickly reattained. Um, and, and you know, I think psychologically, fast. you're back home when it comes to holding those bars again. You know. Absolutely. And I also want to say that uh, in the, this western part of Canada that I have relocated to, it doesn't seem to be a shortage of uh, supplementation, if you get my drift. <laughs> Melania always says you can tell uh, you know, tell about the situation from how big guys are in gyms. And I'm telling you, man, there's some big dudes out here. Oh, yeah. Um, some very <laughs> Maybe large... Maybe it's all the livestock <laughs> drugs. <laughs> Out there in the West, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, met a particular gentleman last night in the gym who uh, used to play football for the university out here, and uh, he's a he's a pretty big, gigantic, three hundred pounds, and uh, yeah, he's he's doing a lot more than just the sun, the uh, you know, muscle. It's just tech. arginine, more yeah. than just arginine. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I was like, wow. Anyway, so yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, keep listeners informed on the. Uh, Trends and styles that are going on here in the western part of Canada, as a, as far as bodybuilding and powerlifting. But yeah, so Fortress is back. That's all I'm trying to say. There you, there go. you go. There you go. It was, it was fun. To I play. had some news I was going to give, but I haven't been able to verify it, so I'm going to skip it because I don't want to give bad news. Um, so okay, sorry. All right. I had a, had a fairly good training day. You know, I went in and I get a deload. So I've been needing a deload since Paul Carter visited, and I've been pushing it, pushing it, and even though my body's been telling me to. And uh, I got a deep tissue massage on my calves last night, first time in like a long time. Oh, they're, oh, I they're, they're less like cables of steel and more like mushy muscle again, which is actually a good thing. <laughs> and uh, took away most of my knee pain and went in and did my last deadlift session today and uh, hit some okay numbers. You know, I wasn't pushing anything hard, but 545 for four triples and then 545 for eight. And uh, all of those paused. And now it is, that was... I set down number eight, and then I picked up a glass of milk, and it's deload for a week. So, so I'm sorry, you did what for triples? Five forty-five. Five forty-five, and then you did then you did what for eight? Five forty-five. Okay, so what, where's your logic on that? Uh, I just felt like picking up more than three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, you know, hey, the, nothing wrong with that. No, the four sets of three felt really good, so I was like, on this last one, I'm gonna just gonna see what I can do. And I, oh, no, you know, I, I probably could have got a couple more, but they would have started. Like eight of them felt. 
they were still feeling like clean, good lifts. Yeah. Number nine, it would have started been a little, it wouldn't have been what I would call a nice, smooth, crisp lift. So I stopped there and shut her down. No, I'm going back to triples for a long time. One of the, when my deadlift was at its best, I just did lots of triples and started off with a really manageable weight and, and moved up and then, uh, yeah, it just I don't know. That's, that's interesting, about- Phil. When when I was in Finland years ago, uh, some of the scientists were were saying that throughout history, the teams that do best in Olympic lifts are the ones who spend the most time under roughly ninety percent loads, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what you just said with the triples. You know, you're yeah. doing lots of triples. Yeah. So interesting. There's no question that uh, yeah, st- staying with heavy loads uh, trains you well for heavy loads. It's interesting also how, Lonnie, uh, several weeks ago you were mentioning um, the whole idea that getting stronger doesn't necessarily make your sub-percentages, um, rep ranges, go up. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that because I find that to be true. It's been so long since I've actually tried to do anything rep-wise with 315. Um, in the last couple of weeks, just for my workouts, not my training, I've just been doing you know several sets of 10 with 315, and... Yeah, they, I, now, as I've said, my strength is not where it normally is when I'm up, you know, on top of my game just because of everything that's been going on. Having said that, man, those sets of 10 were crushing me. Yeah. And, uh, 10s can be horrible, I think. Yeah, and I, started, so, yeah. and I started thinking to myself, well, what, what's up with this? And then I started, thought, started thinking to myself, oh, yeah, you know, most of my training is definitely five and under. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, and I didn't really think that. You know, I just kind of had this idea, you know, that my, my old bodybuilding brain going like, oh, 315 for sets of 10, big deal. Yeah. And it wasn't even so much that, the, you know, the, the, the poundage itself, of course. It was just like, my God, just to, to just the, um, you know, the, the overall, um, you know, lack of conditioning specific mm-hmm. to performing that type of thing. Yeah. thing is, yeah, because it's, it's, again, you think, well, 510, what's a big deal? But as you're kind of nodding your head over there, Phil, yeah, like, I mean, the, the difference between 5 and 10 can be huge. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'll tell you, this, sound, this sounds funny, but even, uh, like, lately I've been doing a lot of sets of 5 because I'm, I've been very pressed for time, and I want to try to maintain a certain amount of strength conditioning so I can train harder in the spring. But um, I even see the difference between 3 and 4 reps. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, 3 can... <laughs> I can see why a lot of people say triples, you know, because you go boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. That fourth one is like a nagging final challenge <laughs> to me. I have this love affair with ones. One is a good number. I mean, <laughs> I really like ones. Anything above that, it's like, oh, it's like running a marathon. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Let's, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll do our topic of the day, which is essentially how fat is too fat. Sound good? Let's do it. Yep. All right. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, 
uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us on other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Every week for four years now, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in, $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January 2013, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Hello, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lowry. I just want to offer an update on the Protein and Resistance exercise book that you hear about in ads at the end of the show. The publisher and I realize that the textbooks have become expensive. This one's $99. So individual electronic chapters have been made available for $20. US As with Iron Radio, my primary drive here is to get valid, reliable information into the hands of fellow lifters. So if you simply Google CRC Press Protein, you'll find the page where the book is sold. By clicking on ebook purchase at the right, you'll be taken to a page with free introductory parts of the book, as well as each chapter in electronic PDF format. There's also links uh, to other sources in this version. So whether you're interested in an academic heavy hitter like Dr. Peter Lemon sharing protein's history and strength training, or you're a biochem nerd like me and you want to just look at chapter 2 on protein synthesis and breakdown, or if you want to cut to the chase and get to a chapter on using protein weight control or case studies, you can now do so for just 20 bucks. So please check out CRC Press Protein and see which chapter topic may interest you. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Alrighty, we are back, Iron Radio listeners. It's Phil and Rob and Lowney, and we are all uh, going to talk about how fat is too fat, uh, essentially. And again, this came up for a couple of reasons. One, as I was looking at some of these studies on brown adipose versus white adipose tissue, 
I started really, you know, remembering that fat's not just a gas tank, as we were saying before. And when you carry a huge amount of body fat, all hell starts to break loose once you start to cross certain thresholds, right? Uh, well, I don't know if it's an actual threshold. It could be a, a, a slope, but the point being is white adipose tissue is secreting those adipokines and causing inflammation and, and those sorts of things. But I just wanted to sort of touch on this, and maybe there's a, a slight difference between off-season bodybuilders and powerlifters and that sort of thing. And So, Rob, I want to open it up with you first, which is... What does that mean? <laughs> are you trying to say? Are you trying to say something? Only that we had a conversation once. Let me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and basically, in this conversation, I, Rob and I were talking about his road to 700 in the squat as a natural lifter, which is you know very rare. Um, and I was I basically. And I haven't done it yet. Just so people know, I'm, I'm I'm still on that road. Still on the road. Still on that road. But I asked, how fat are you willing to get? I mean, literally, like. Sumo wrestlers, you know, obviously the bigger they are, the better they perform. So, I mean, I don't think they have any um, concerns, you know, that they're bigger, bigger, bigger. And in some ways, I can see um, powerlifting being like that. The bigger the man, the more the weights he moves, right? So we started this little discussion about how fat are you willing to get? So uh, couple this with last week when I heard Rob say, when I was editing the show, uh you really want to get that waist nice and thick, you know, with both muscle and fat, uh, so you can, you know, handle bigger weights. I think you said nobody's squatting five, six, seven hundred pounds with a wasp waist, and I think we can all agree on that, uh, at least rarely. I was going to say um, certainly, certainly natural and and, and uh, gear free. No. Yes. Right. And I so, can tell you, as a, as a former competitive bodybuilder, and I've said this many times, the biggest thing I ever noticed when I was getting ready for a bodybuilding competition was when my waist went below a certain size, it was absolutely explicitly obvious that, you know, my squat suffered because of that. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. You know. So, anyway, yeah, go on. Well, did you feel like you were going to buckle forward? Did you lose lateral? Uh, no, you, you just, you know, when you're standing there with the weight on your back, with the barbell on your back, you just feel a little, little loosey-goosey down Let's through see. the middle. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I think you get folded easier and stuff like that. That's a... So yeah, there's 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 just there's just a little bit of something that's a little less than rock solid um, when you're standing there with the barbell, which of course carries through through the whole stroke of the movement. So right now, having said that, I mean there was a time when I had a 29 inch waist, and at the time I had 28 inch thighs. You know, and I mean I actually was hoping there was actually a time I was within a half an inch of getting thighs as big as my waist, which guys can't usually do. Yeah. And, but at the time, I could do t- I could do a set of 10 with 405. So, again, you can be quite strong, and it depends on your goals, I think. But I'll agree with you guys. You guys are squatting way over the 405 range, which is usually where I stop, to be honest. Um, because we've and discussed I, this before, yeah. right? How much how much weight do you really need to continue with the hypertrophy? And that's, I think that's where it ends. Is it depends on your goals. I mean, there is a. I'm, I firmly believe there is, like weight limits to the lifts, where you'll see a lot of smaller guys that hit like say a 600 deadlift, and the difference between six and seven is big, a lot bigger than like five to six. 
Mm-hmm. It's somewhere around that 700 part. You see the body weight just has to go up so much to move it. You know, and, and that's with that, the girth. And it's the same thing with the squat. I mean, I think the body is built to a smaller body can handle up to a certain limit. And then from there, it's like you need more body to hold more pounds. Yeah. And this is exactly, Phil, what Lonnie and I have had many discussions over, at what, which is what he's alluding to. The whole idea that certainly it's diminishing returns i mean you have to keep getting mm-hmm. you know you have to get, keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger for lesser and lesser gains but yeah you're absolutely right and i've found the same thing usually when you're looking at guys 5 600 pound squat and deadlifts um, you can get guys who are again relatively smaller yeah. who are able still to do that kind of thing but then when you start going over cuz i mean you go to most powerlifting meets you know raw meets or even single i mean mm-hmm. You know, supposedly drug-free meats. Um, yeah, you see a lot of guys who are, you, you know, who are in that kind of four fifty-five, five fifty, getting towards mm-hmm. six range. But the guys who are actually then transcending that mm-hmm. and going up into the, you know, the low, mid, high sixes and certain sevens, because like Lonnie says, you don't see that very often. Those guys are now marketably bigger yeah. than the guys who are doing, you know, maybe. You know, quote unquote, just a hundred pounds less. Yeah. So they're, and, you know, and this kind of ties in a lot with what we've talked about for well years now with the show, the whole idea that you know, how, you know, we even did this whole show. You know, has mm-hmm. human strength, you know, absolute performance, actually increased? You know, and then we had a guest there several weeks ago, who actually came right out and said, um, you know, an elder statesman of powerlifting, he actually said that he actually thinks that it hasn't increased mm-hmm. in the last few decades at least yeah i think the challenge if it, in a sense none of us are very very tall you know i see yeah. some of these brutally strong dudes uh strong man guys you know they're six five plus yeah and so i think part of the fun in the challenge is you guys are roughly let's call you guys roughly six feet tall i'm only five nine mm-hmm. so when we say that we're 260, 275, or, you know, I say I'm 220, Rob says he's 300, mm-hmm. um, we're overeating to fill out. I mean, you, you can't go up anymore, right? We're adults. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to be a bigger dude, you're going out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think importantly, uh, even with, I don't want to say purely reckless, but aggressive overeating, um, I think some of, people might say some of what Phil does is reckless with the, you know, drinking syrup while he's online. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point being is, even with aggressive weight gain, uh, a significant percentage of that is muscle, right? We've talked about that on, oh, yeah. in shows long ago that, uh, as you add body mass from overeating calories and, and, you know, nutrients, a significant portion is in fact muscle. And that's where a lot of this comes from, you know, eat up to be a bigger man or why Rob, you know, is pushing 300, um, to get to, to squat 700 and that sort of thing because you will put on, even guys who don't lift put on a significant amount of muscle. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people think, think was, when uh... you gain 100% fat or you lose 100% fat, that's not how the body works. You know, it's interesting you even bring this up and it kind of ties in with what I was saying earlier about, you know, um, kind of getting back to, you know, um, you know, "Quote unquote semi regular train now. I lost you know twelve or thirteen pounds in during this whole move and everything, and that brought me down to you know two eighty two eighty one. What what most would consider still quite big, yeah. but you know what? When I was at my best, you know, like a few months ago when I was just before I did this whole thing, you know, I was two two ninety two two ninety four. 
And, um, of course, you got to factor in all the stress and all the kind of, you know, the, the regular routine being, you know, destroyed and, you know, having to form a new one and all that kind of stuff as well. Sure. The emotional impact, which we've had shows to talk about those things as well. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, so in this last week, I've really tried desperately to say, okay, let, let me got my, let's get my eating at least starting to get back on track. You know, and I've gained as little as three or four pounds. Um, when I went out, stepped on the scale last night at the gym I go to versus last week, my last workout. And you know what? Already that's made a, 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 a very positive um, difference towards getting back to where I was. So, again, you're saying, well, you know, for most people, well, what's the difference between 280 and 293? Well, when you're, when you're talking to somebody, you know, like, like myself or Phil or something like that, like, you know, and of course Phil's, you know, numbers that he might use to use this as an example might be different than mine, I don't know. But the point being is, there could be a huge difference. Yeah. You know, and that's why we were even talking about, you know, you were talking to Lonnie a, a few weeks ago about the whole idea that, um, uh, you know, that I think a listener wrote in about, you know, going to his first powerlifting meeting. He was talking about, you know, should I, should I cut weight? Yeah. And, <laughs> This is a perfect example of why in a strength sport, a pure strength sport, as opposed to, you know, like a wrestling or something like that, it can be devastating. You know, you could be rocking and rolling like I am at 292, and then all of a sudden, you know, stress and everything, environment and, and eating and training is all goes to shit for a couple months. And now you, now you wind up at 280, 281 pounds. And you know you're like standing under these weights that you know you were rocking with two months ago, and you're thinking, "What the hell happened?" If I can, let me interject real quick there because I think one of the things that you're going to see, and I don't know if all the listeners are aware of this, maybe most are, but in the lab I've seen very big guys fluctuate an enormous amount of weight compared to the average person. Mm -hmm. You know, partly it's because when you carry a ton of muscle mass. You know, fat-free mass is about 72% water. So yeah. water changes. And then let's say you go through a day of not eating. Like yesterday, I mean, I'm not huge like you guys, but uh, day before yesterday, I almost didn't eat all day. I, you know, I was very cranky, as Rob, you might guess I would be. At the you end were of the salty. Day. You were salty. I was salty, super yeah. salty. And But the point being is I lost four pounds. And... Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that might be six pounds in you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because there's no glycogen and water in my muscles, you know, every gram of glycogen you store and top off your carb gas tank carries three grams of water with it. So you can see five, six, ten-pound changes in people uh, that carry more muscle mass. And mm. by, by contrast, overweight fat people, fat is very little percent water, mm. and you just don't see that kind of fluctuation. Yeah. You know, and like Rob, you were saying, you know, you're like, wow, this isn't happening. I, I weigh less. You have less of that, and this this isn't very sciency, but tissue leverage, you know, um, bigger, more swollen with water kinds of muscles, glycogen replete, bristling with energy, and yeah. it's just not there. It's funny. I wore a T-shirt, a T-shirt that was given to me for free, and most of the shirt T-shirts I've ever worn in training have just I've been grabbed from like you know supplement booths and all that kind of stuff. And I don't even know what this shirt's for, but on the back there's a saying. It says, eat to compete. There's a t-shirt I've worn for the last year or two in training. And, you know, I never really got gave much thought, but because of my circumstances of the last month or two, I've really come to realize that, that I mean, of course I know that. But you know what I mean? You really start thinking about it fundamentally. And you're thinking, and I, you know, I've come to the realization that it's like, you know, to go along with what you're saying, Lonnie, 
you really do have to eat to compete. And I'm not talking about competing going into a competition. I'm talking about competing, just going to the gym and performing up to a standard that you're expecting mm-hmm. of yourself. You know, you have to eat. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't, like you're saying, Lonnie, have, you know, if you have a well, bad day the day before a heavy training session, say, okay, well, this is not going to affect me. It was just one day. And I think that's a big difference you'll see between a lot of bodybuilders and powerlifters. You know, because we are every day for, for strength sports. You know, my eatings revolve not around, it's somewhat around my weight class, but I'm just trying to get heavier. It, it's about, I need to, if I don't eat, I'm gonna, my training's gonna suck tomorrow. You know, it's all about what I can do. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think this is good. I, I read John Cook's book late, uh, recently. I, I just had it, somebody was, I was looking for it for a long time. It's a collector's item. And anyways, I, I got a hold of it. Um, Mark Rifkind had two copies sent me one. He has a, there's a good part in here that, uh, relates to what we're talking about. And he's talking about, you know, when he started, got serious about it, he, uh, he decided just to train and just get big and strong. And, uh, I'll read it here. He said, uh, you know, when he, when he was 242, he squatted a marginal 700 pounds at a body weight of 242. Um, he decided to move up. It took him 18 months to reach a body weight of 330. During the 18 months, I did a single rep at the end of each workout. Each week for 72 weeks, I added two and a half pounds to this single without fail. By the end of two seven, 72 weeks, I was doing a training single with 875. Every training squat I did in those 18 months was easy, and I did not miss one single training rep. For every five-pound increase in body weight per month, my squat jumped 10 pounds. There was no suit, no thick wraps, no, you know, Super thick belts. He said, you know, it's just showed how much body weight added positive effects on squatting leverages. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw this same exact thing with uh, my wife. She took about 12 weeks, and we just squatted and ate. And she added 20 pounds of body weight, but in that time, she added 40 pounds to her squat. Boom. And we're not talking uh, a female going from... A 135 to like a 175 squat. She went from two, what, 275 to 315 raw squat. Right. For a 170 to 180 pound woman, that's pretty damn good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you could think of all the mechanisms, possible mechanisms behind that. Like we were saying, you know, big, full glycogen and waterfall muscles. You can think hormones, right? When you eat more, you actually basically either are, have better LH and testosterone function either because there's more testosterone or there's less uh, binding hormone, you know, binding globulins tying up that testosterone. So more free T, you know, as opposed to people who are fasting and their testosterone levels go down a little. Then the physiological range, normal range, at least for men, there's probably not a big difference in physique, but... Uh, I remember Hockenden and some of those uh, Eastern Bloc uh, researchers talking before about how there's very clear relationships between sex steroids and muscle strength, you know. So maybe that 15% up or down difference because you're well-fed for a few days, you know, plays into that as well. But I also think there's this idea of structural differences. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Uh, even if it's not the big belly in the, when you're in the hole in the squat or to make the range of motion less in the bench press. I mean, those are obvious things. But there also seems to be this nebulous notion of tissue leverage that I've heard people talk about. And you can kind of 
feel that, you know, and I don't yeah. know if there's if I'm going to find any good science on that, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, he talks yeah. about that too in here. He's like, you know, you get no matter if it's fat or, or muscle you're putting on, you've got more mass on your legs, more mass on your calves, more mass on your butt. And all that stuff when you crunch down in a squat smushes together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it yeah. doesn't want to stay there. Yeah. It you know, wants and, to and it's push interesting back out cuz you get these guys who, you know, uh, mm. on these bodybuilding boards and that who say stupid things like oh you know look at this guy who's benching you know 650 pounds raw you know he's fat he's 300 and you know of course these subjects that we're talking about are never fat you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just stupid commentary from people who know nothing and yeah. you know think that you know um, anything that anything in muscle related sports that you know where the guy is not shredded is fat anyway yeah. <clears throat> um <sighs> I'm trying to say here. The whole idea of, of the is that you. I mean, there's all you know because they use logic like, well, look at this guy. You know, if if I ate myself up to 350 pounds, I'd, I'd bench press 700 pounds too, which of course is complete and utter lunacy. Yeah. Um, so all I'm saying with this is is that I agree with what you guys are are um, intimating towards about there's something there is something towards extra weight applying. You know, uh, helping with leverages. Yeah. All I'm saying is. For listeners out there who might be new to this whole thing and, and maybe taking things at complete only at face value, there has to be training involved. Oh yeah, there can't you no, can't you, yeah you, I mean you can't just be a fat guy and yeah. be a world class lifter. Right, I mean, that would be like bro science, right? Oh, all this insulin is going to be so anabolic, or I'm going to have better functioning <laughs> testosterone. Yeah, but there's three things, right? That you th- when you think about physiology, that's going to cause tissue growth, right? Mm-hmm. Nutrient supply, hormonal support. And mechanical tension, you know, and without that mechanical tension stimulus, why would your body adapt, you know, in a yeah. very specific way? Exactly. Right. I mean, lot, you know, like the, the, the eight-time Mr. Olympia Lee Haney once said, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't um, contract, it's useless. And certainly from his standpoint, as a competitive bodybuilder, I understand that terminal, you know, that what he's saying, and he's not wrong. But yeah, I mean, you know, to say, well, I'm 250 pounds of just, you know. At six percent body fat, and therefore I'm, you know, it would never make a difference if I trained, you know, specifically for a, you know, absolute strength sport, and also gained another thirty pounds. That that would make a difference. Of course, it would make a difference. And like we're talking about, it's it's, I I think the word you used, Lonnie, was nebulous, <laughs> you know, because, you know, nobody can really define exactly what it it is. Although we're we're alluding to possible theories of why it is, but yeah, I mean. At some point, you just got to be a heavy guy to lift really heavy weights. And oh, like yeah. I was saying earlier, yeah, a lot of people with very lean, sinewy, muscular physiques can get up to a pretty high level of, you know, on the on the compound lifts of doing some crazy things. Like Lonnie, you're always saying about some of those guys, that skinny guys, you know, that lift at the back of Pep's gym there in, in Akron and stuff. And but you know what? And, and it's I'm not putting those guys down because. You know, it's wonderful what, what they're able to do, but they are working within those parameters that we're talking about. You know, the four, four fifty kind of squats, the kind of, you know what I mean? But like I say, you right. walk in three hundred ish bench, right? You know, yeah. but like I say, I mean, you're, you're just not going to see that. Like I say, of course, we're excluding the drug um, and gear issue here because those two things can massively pervert yes. a lot of the theories that we're talking about right now, uh, hugely. But um, yeah, for a truly drug free raw lifter. Um, like you say, Lonnie, you're, you don't see a lot of guys squatting 700 pounds raw, drug-free. I mean, you. No. I mean, I don't know if I ever. Well, seen. 
let's even, I mean, I don't care. Even take that out of the equation. If we're looking, and I've got it open right now. If you look at the world, let's say the, the men's raw world records in the squat. So you get up to 198, and we haven't broken the 700 barrier yet without wraps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so to get to the 800 barrier, we have to make it to 242. That's at 826. And let's bear in mind that I'm I'm beyond convinced that those numbers are not drug free. By the way, no, yeah, that's what I said. Let's not even let's just leave that. Yeah, out. sure, okay, right. Most of these guys on this list are open about their. That's drug right. Well, sure. like Phil, like you said, like so. when you were reading about the gains with the body mass, you know, obviously having hormonal support is going to yeah make sure that that happens. But yeah. right, regardless, right, yeah, just regardless, regardless. talking about body weight, yes. the, the numbers go up. You know, the highest at at, at a person that is just under 200 pounds, 198 is 690. You know, to get up in 700, you know, you got a 220 guy, and then to hit 800, it's 242 by Kirk Kurowski, who's just a freak, you know, a genetic specimen, and you want to get 900, and it's all the way up past 308. You know, and again, for another so, 75 pounds. And like I say, just so people understand, we're all we're talking about athletes that are using drugs, and we're talking about. You know, all these guys are are genetic. They're not only, yeah, let's say on drugs, but genetically very gifted. Right. right. And it's physics. Right? <laughs> you know? I think what you're getting at there is it's simple physics. Yeah. Big man moves large weight. I mean, look exactly. at the strong men. <laughs> you yeah. Know, oh, yeah. Guys like Kaz are enormous individuals, or Brad Gillingham. They're giant. Well, even you look at even, even Their structure's huge. We even look at, look at that guy right now. His name escapes me right at the moment. But what is he? Six foot eight and four hundred twenty five pounds or something like Oof, that. Yeah. You know, I mean, up. just human walls. You know, yes. um, and and like you say, I mean, even to get up to that height, like like Lonnie says, I mean, a lot of those guys, you know, like Lonnie's saying, when you're you know five ten, five nine, six feet, you know, you only have you you can't go up. You know, so you go out. Well, even those guys, of course, everybody's that when they reach adulthood is the same way. Yeah. But certainly to, you know, start start hitting body weights of 350, 400 and not being a complete and utter mess, you almost have to be the six foot. For six, sure. Six, oh, and, and I mean, <laughs> you, know? you can't, the average person can't appreciate the true size of those guys. No. Yes, Until exactly. you've had the pleasure of, like, sitting down at a dinner table with a group of them, they're not just, like, six, five, three to 400 pounds. Their, their structure under that. Is yeah. massive. You know, their wrists are the size of my freaking calves. And, you know, I mean, they are just, they're walking tanks. You That's know, funny you say that. This way. Yep, I was thinking the same uh, thing. The average person, uh, we, we've all been around that, at least some. Yeah. And when you're around someone who's 6'8", 420, yeah. You can't, most people can't even imagine that, to be honest. Yeah. And you know, now I know you can't say simply because they're large, they're moving more weight, but there is some truth to that. Because I know, yes. Rob, you always talk about the conundrum that, you know, oh, you're big, so you move more weight, and then you say, no, I move bigger and bigger weights, which is why I'm a large man. Um, but there's, there's truth on both ends of that spectrum. Of course, course there is. Of course there is. Yeah. Of course. I'm just yeah. saying in the long run, of course, like, you know, I've, I've arrived at my size because of mm. how I train and the weights I yeah. train with. But I mean, certainly then, it's almost like, well, it's almost like paying into a pension fund, right? Um, oh, there's a, yeah. yeah. Talk about weight gain. There it is. Yeah, pizza. pizza deliveries again. Yeah. Um, you know, at some point you're paying into this and paying into this, but then it's going to come back and start paying you back. And what I'm, what I mean by that is I've spent so many years 
training myself to a point where I've got come and become larger and larger and larger and larger. But then when I started hitting the 280, 285, 290, I actually started seeing reaping the benefits of being that big. Yes. So I know what you're saying, Lonnie, but and I, and I see it's a circle that goes around and around. So. Right, um, yeah. For sure, but I mean, yeah, I mean, so so it's like I use the analogy again of paying into a you know a pension fund or something. You know, you it, it's you're feeding into it and feeding into it and feeding into it. You know, the analogy, of course, you're growing, you're growing, you're growing, you're training heavier and heavier and heavier year after year. But then eventually, that pension fund starts paying you back, mm-hmm. and that's right. when you are the 250, the 260, to 280, yeah. the 300 pounds, and all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, all this added weight now really is helping me with my messages. Yes. So okay guys since, since we're almost out of time let me let me ask a final question. Phil I'll put it to you. Okay. Um, put a number on it. What percent fat would you say would be a rough cap for an off-season bodybuilder and then for a powerlifter? Oh, for an off-season bodybuilder. Probably 20 or low 20s. Okay. You know, and a powerlifter God, I mean, I wouldn't put a number on it. I would go, I think you, you can keep going until you point, there's gonna be a point where you're not, it's not beneficial. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the person doesn't care and they're strong, it depends on where they're at. If we're talking an advanced level lifter, um, just eat and get strong. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's still benefiting you, if you're getting market benefits like, like Cook talks about, where you're adding Two pounds to every one pound of body weight, that's worth it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd put on 80 pounds right now if it had 106 pounds of my deadlift. Yeah. I'm on See, it. See, now, that has me at exactly, 900. Right. That's exactly <laughs> you know? that conversation yeah. that Rob and I had months ago, which was, yeah. how much would you weigh to squat 700? Are you going to be, yeah. are you willing to weigh 350, 400? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if I'm just getting a two to one payback. If I'm getting a two to one payback, I'm going to run that as far as I can. Yeah, listeners have to understand that we are talking very specifically about what your goals are, of course. Yeah. So we're not saying that you know, like it's it's, and that that's fine. For me, for, taking your to answer the question that you threw out there for us, Lonnie, for bodybuilding, have been a former bodybuilder and being around a lot of professional bodybuilders in my time, I would say anywhere between fifteen percent and twenty five percent comfortably, comfortably. Okay. If you're a hard training, yeah. intense bodybuilder powerlifting i'd say anywhere between 20 and 40 percent and again 40 percent may be the higher number but again you have to look at the size of the individual what he's lifting and what his goals are yes um, am i willing to weigh 350 to squat seven no but the only reason i'm saying that is because i firmly believe that i'll be able to do it under 320 understood um and the but, thing but is- i understand as well that if that was my ultimate goal and i and i with all my training knowledge i thought to myself no i think i'm really going to have to weigh 340 pounds well then that might be the new set point well that's you know? like phil says and, wear blinders you know the yeah, blinders and, go on and it's about the strength the it's thing about- is though how easy is it going to be you know i'm not going to have a new person that comes in here that's just starting i'm just not going to have them put on weight. they have no need to because i can get plenty out of them without them getting anybody at all oh of course just you know, if i if that's where it's, it's talking differences, you know. But if I have somebody like Rob, who's a very advanced trainer, you know, it's I don't think Rob could reach forty percent body fat. Oh, that's a good point because I don't think he could. Like we said, we, fat doesn't come <laughs> and go by yeah. itself. We, well, I think we could just feed you like a freaking cow in a cornfield and have you train, and I don't think you'd reach it. 
Well, I it would think be there's, real there's, hard to read. Yeah, there's a certain amount of truth to that, just because after all the training, your body becomes efficient with what you put into it. Not only the fact is that the extremity of what it is that we do week in and week out in a gym. Yeah. I mean, people really don't understand just the massive resources <laughs> yeah. from all angles combined that somebody who's a hard, hard, you know, intense hardcore bodybuilder or, you know, like a powerlifter. So, I mean, the amount of the, the consumption of material goods, i.e. food, that yeah. we go through. And like Lonnie's always saying, not to build necessarily, but, uh, of course, that's on, on top of all this, but just to freaking stay alive. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 it's almost like you're driving the truck and the, the, you know, and you're filling it up at the same time, you know? Yeah. And it's just because, and, and to go that little bit of extra, like Lonnie's always saying, requires heroic eating. You know, because you're just, yeah. you're just trying to stay at some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of point of balance. Yeah. And you're eating a ton of food. Because you know. I really don't know where I'm at. If I had to guess, 15% probably. I don't know. I usually stay fairly lean. You know, I, and, you know I'm eating like crazy. And I don't care if I'm actually really at 20. I, I don't. Actually, I mean, Phil, I, but... it's a very good point that you make <laughs> that na- even natural guys, if they're training it with, like Rob says, with a plan, you know, yes. um, how fat could you make them? I think you're right. At some point... If, I they, don't think if, you're gonna, if, the, yeah. if the mechanical stimulus is at a certain point, mm. even with normal hormonal levels, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not sure you could make somebody forty percent fat. That's a I very interesting point. I don't think we could. I mean, that's, I think it was Al, Al Mata we had on, but you know, he talked about the study that was done, and they just they overfed people, and just even grossly overfed, they were gaining fifty percent of the weight was good. Yeah, right. at least a significant. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and that's, that's a, I, for some people they say that's, uh, some people say that's not a good, oh, I gain a pound of fat for every pound of muscle. I'm, I'm gained. Sign me up. <laughs> you know, well, like I said, know. well, for an advanced lifter, I mean, I think there are certain people, like, let's say you are blinders on, hell bent mm-hmm. for 700. Yeah. If you're, if you're currently in the mid sixes, you might say, you know, I'm willing to put on two or three pounds of fat for every pound of muscle if that's yeah, what it's going to take. Exactly. You know. And that's where I'm at, because I know, I have a feeling in my head, because everybody watched my 804, and I missed it at lockout. And I walked in that meet weighing 262 in the 275 class. I think if I was weighing no stronger, if I'd have been 275, and I was able to lean my ass back with 13 more pounds on, I think 804 would edge its way up. Yeah. Because I'd have had 13 pounds more leverage sitting behind that bar. Because, I mean, it just barely didn't make it. That's interesting. I will say this before we go. Uh, quickly, I'm going to throw out my numbers. I, I agree. I'd say 15 to 20% fat is very acceptable for an off-season bodybuilder. And, yes, I said 20%. Some people would be very shocked. But I think some of these gurus, they'll, they'll go on about, oh, you should be very lean before you start a weight gain phase. But I think if you're not very careful, there's a cause and effect problem there that they'll say, oh, if you're very lean when you start, you gain more lean mass. Yeah, but what if those people genetically were just muscle freaks, you know, bear with me. And so when they gained all that weight, it's because genetically that's just what they're going to do anyway. It's not something magical. Like if I get lean and then I start eating like an animal, it's all going to come on lean. And there are some people, I think Lyle McDonald was one that talked about that a lot. And I think you got to be very careful with those kinds of interpretations because – Again, maybe the lean people make the best muscular gains because exactly. they would have anyway. 
<laughs> there is, uh, they're forgetting this point that your body, it feels unsafe being very lean. Let's say yeah. you get somebody down to 5%. Yeah, yeah. Their body is going to want fat before it wants anything oh, else. Immune system to take. Right. It's, it's going to want to reach a point where it doesn't feel like it's on the verge of death. Well, it what have I get always, those reserves? What have I always said for years? The human body likes to gain fat with yeah. muscle, and it likes to lose muscle with fat. Right, now think, yeah. and again, but think of specifically what I'm saying there for all the yeah. listeners out there. Don't just, you know, kind of listening to what I'm saying. Listening to the detail of how I'm ordering this. The human body likes to gain fat with muscle. And it likes to lose muscle with fat. Yeah. You know, and I've been saying that's something I came up with years ago, and I, I, I don't think anybody who knows anything is going to disagree with what I'm saying, which is exactly what you're saying, Phil. Yeah. Um, it's all about the percentage, you know, and like and we're saying, that, and that percentage changes. At some, at early phases in somebody's career, they might want to be better than 50-50. They might want an 80-20 mix of yeah. the fat. But once you're so close to that lifetime goal, Hell, you may be willing to flip those numbers, and hell, I'll put on eighty percent fat for twenty yep. percent muscle just exactly. so I can meet my goal. Yep. You right. know, now, yeah. I will say this before we end, and that is, listeners, if you do go the route of, you know, listen, I'm going to not eat, worry about my percent fat. Um, I'm a power lifter. I'm not a bodybuilder that has to dig back out of this fatty hole. You know, because let's face it, I think if you're twenty, twenty-five percent fat or more as a bodybuilder, God, your diet phase is going to be more than half a year. It's going to suck. Um, but um, I would say try to keep inflammation under control based on what mm. we were saying about how white adipose tissue is an inflammatory endocrine organ. So make sure that you're not just doing that with sugar, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But yeah. you got fish oils in your diet, vitamin D in your diet. You know what I mean? It's a very nutrient-rich anti-inflammatory kind of diet yeah. to keep that in control. Otherwise, you couldn't have this sort of inflamed metabolic syndrome kind of dude, and you don't want that. No, no I agree. And I mean, I think it comes down, like we're talking body, body fat there, it's also individual, too. I mean, you can't... There are people that are walking around that their body is comfortable being very lean. And there are other people that aren't. You know, we're, we're as different as any other species out there. You look at horses, and there's Frickin' Clydesdales that are built to move big, heavy things. And there's little quarter horses. And, you know, people aren't that much different. There are people, like the strongmen, they were born with a big frickin' frame. Right. <laughs> you know? Clydesdales. And there are people that are born naturally lean. And there are people that are born not so lean. And, you know, it's 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 a matter of figuring out what you are. And, and not, there's, just, there's, not just total fat, but fat distribution. You know, yeah. If when you put on weight... You end up with breasts and a giant hanging gut, not a power yeah. gut. Yeah, you, exactly. You might want to be more careful in how you do this. Yes. Yeah. And, the, yeah, there's definitely differences there. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. it's, it's uh, Yeah, and like Lonnie always says constantly, it's what you're willing to do, you know, but for the yeah. goal. Yeah, like how sloppy are you willing to look? And what kind of, like, like Phil was alluding to earlier, what kind of base do you have to support all that extra weight mm-hmm. anyway? I mean, you know, like if you're starting from from day one, I'm just going to eat like a horse. Well, you're probably you don't have any frame to kind of to kind of support that as looking half decent. Whereas yeah, if, you, if, you, if you, one of the one of the reasons I think I could get away a lot with my weight is because I spent so many years as a bodybuilder. You know, so as Lonnie and Lonnie, you've said this to me many times. I've got a be I've got a structure underneath all the size. Yep. You know, so it it 
And I think that's why people never believe that I'm as heavy as I am, because nobody ever believes I'm as heavy yeah. as I am. People yeah. always guess me. Even people who know what they're talking about guess yeah. me at like 240, maybe, maybe. I bet that's and true I, of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, people who don't train think I'm like 200 pounds, and they well, freak and when I'm like 200 pounds. I was 200 pounds when I was 17. Like, yeah. like you know, like God, that's a long time ago. Anyway. Well, and there's a difference in pouring a. You. <sighs> You know, a beginner has a little Briggs and Stratton motor. I can only dump so much fuel into that thing. <laughs> you know? That's, yeah, that's a good analogy. And, you know, we've got pretty big motors, and if you dump more fuel into it, it's gonna, it's gonna rev up and go. It can use it. You know, right. it can use a lot of it. Yeah. You know, the majority of it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so you can't just take a beginner and just totally go balls to the walls and dump food at it. And Training expect status. Great right. things to happen. There's no need. They're so new. Get them through that point, put a year or two in of before we even worry about that. Right. Unless you've got somebody that comes to you that's just super lean and they've you know they've got eating issues and they're it's going to do them good to put on weight. Right. You know, which I've had I have have had a couple people that were just oh you need to eat because <laughs> right. you're so thin. Well, I'll tell you that's let's, a different issue. Let's leave uh, listeners with this question yourself. You know. What percent fat do you think, looking at your frame, that you're comfortable to, you know, comfortable with, knowing what we've said about some of the pros and cons of this, you know, and what your goals are, you know, what are you comfortable with? Is it, if it's 10 or less, I would think you're probably, you need to loosen up. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly. if it's 15, okay, you know, you're like, I just should go above that. I, I, I'm not putting it on the right place. Maybe, like Phil says, you need a higher training status, a higher training level before you've got enough but, mass to put know, it all to work. That 15 know. level might be great for somebody that just wants to be in pretty great shape. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You know, if they don't want to compete or anything, they want to always walk around and look good and be fairly strong, great. Well, the, yeah, you have, on to, your goals. you have to consider that too because of the, yeah. there's those people out there, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if that's what no. they want, that's what they want. Yep. If you want to look good exactly. in a pair of swim trunks down at the beach, then there's your goal. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe you don't want to be 20% fat in the off season. Just know that you're never going to be really big, really ripped, really strong. Yeah, you know you're going to be fairly average, right. well above average. Right. So, yeah. Okay, cool stuff. And before we go, I just want to say that uh, Fortress, yours truly is now accepting um, proposals for uh, phone consultations from myself. Yeah, baby, yeah! So if anybody is interested to do phone consultations with me, um, as usual, contact me how you would normally contact any of us through this site, which is go to ironradio.org, uh, the email contact link. And uh, we can discuss that because, um, you know, I've been thinking for a lot. I've been getting so many questions and so many emails for so long now from people um, that I'm thinking, you know what, let, let, it's probably time to do this a little bit. And yeah, structure unlike, it. And yeah. unlike Phil, who who is a master at programming and all that type of stuff, um, and Lonnie, who's Mr. Mr. Nutrition Guy, you know, I think regular listeners kind of know where I my forte lies as far as training and philosophies of training and kind of you know intensity techniques and 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 motivation techniques and um, you know errors that are glaring in a person's uh, routine and how to structure things a little bit more towards their ultimate goals. So so anyway, again, anybody out there who wants to do phone consultations with me, um, contacting me again through the site ironradio.org um, through the email link there. And uh, we'll take it from there. And if it works out for you, it works out for you. 
And uh, if you decide that uh, maybe it's not what you had hoped you were looking for, then no hard feelings at all. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. But anyway, yeah, so uh, contact me if you're interested in that. Cool. Okay, buddy. Have a good day. Bye. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best this is the ultimate source in one place little disclosure here i do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book it's such a low amount however obviously i've done it for that purpose i did it because like you i want to have something i can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns if there are any on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.